Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It's a podcast that I record throughout the week and then I put it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the voice of Asheville, broadcasting to the world. Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters, and I've got another great show for you this week. I've got two great interviews, one with Chef Julie Allen, who currently works at Bears Barbecue and has worked for Reza at Reza's in Biltmore Village, which is no longer there, but which is legendary, and Chef Reza is a legendary person. So we talked to Julie about a lot of stuff, but... We talked to her mostly just about what it's like to be in the food industry, which is just something that's fascinating. You know, like, why do people do it? It's really hard. And then later on in the show, I talked to a guy named Hans, also a chef. And Hans has been in the business for 50 years, 50 years. And he talks to me about being sober in the food industry it's an ongoing series of interviews I'm doing with people who are uh, achieving sobriety in the food industry, uh, which has its own special challenges, as you might imagine. If you're going to work around alcohol and work in the high stress world of the food industry, it might be difficult to stay sober. And some people do find it too difficult, but a lot of folks such as myself uh, abstain from alcohol while staying in the food industry. So we talked to Hans about that. And then Drew Peterson, the pizza guy from Asheville Pizza South, stops by unexpectedly. That's not true. I'm always expecting him when he comes by. I just pretend that I'm not expecting him on the show. But uh, and and uh, other than that, oh, and then I did a tasting at the restoration hotel restoration Asheville it's called and so I'll talk to you all about the brunch tasting I did at the restoration Asheville at the end of the show so that's what's coming up stick around here it comes Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan, and I am here on South French Broad Avenue at the Hatch co-working space, and I'm talking to my friend Patrick from Dynamite Roasting out in Black Mountain, and Patrick, tell us what you're doing here at Hatch co-working today. Well, I'm here in support of tonight's event, which is a latte art throwdown. Um, we've got folks from all through the coffee industry today competing to pour latte art and uh, an expert panel of judges will be uh, assessing their skills, and uh, I think there's going to be some cash prizes and raffles and all kinds of fun. Pretty cool, and this is part of a, a workshop series called Coffee Curious Workshop, so how long have you been working with Coffee Curious? I'd say it's probably been around six months. They're fairly new, um, yeah. certainly open within the past year, but um, they are uh, they do coffee education, so for anybody that is... Uh, it gets kind of in the name, but if you're curious about learning more about specialty coffee and uh, different brewing methods and everything in the world of coffee, um, it's a great avenue to get 
introduced to it and if you're already in the world and want to you know up your game a little bit more uh, Tony can certainly help with that also nice nice and um, Patrick I was just in Black Mountain and one of the best things about being in Black Mountain is sitting outside drinking dynamite coffee at a cafe and seeing the dynamite van rolling around all over that town all day long delivering your coffee how are things going at dynamite these days pretty pretty terrific um we've got uh, a lot of good things happening these days um we've been doing some fun collaborations lately so that's been cool um we've got new coffees coming out soon um, our honduras micro lots will be dropping in the near future so that's always a great time of year for us and um yeah business is good and uh, everybody's happy Right on, right on. Award-winning coffee. I've handed you Stubby Awards in the past, you and have. you won the Coffee Expo Throwdown in the past, and I love your coffee, and I really appreciate you talking to me today, Patrick. Absolutely. Nice oh, to see you. Good to see you, too, Stu. Take care. That's my son, Max. He brought the pizza. Yeah. He's a popular guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, everybody. Uh, this is Stu Helm, and I'm here at the Hatch Co-working Space, and I'm talking to Tony Oreck, who is the founder of a, a really fun new thing. This is my first time experiencing it, called the Coffee Curious Workshops, and there's a latte throwdown throw going on, as well as the workshop. Uh, Tony, th- thanks for talking to me. Can you tell us a little bit about where this all came from? Well, you know, I, I was looking, to, I'm a coffee enthusiast, and I was looking for a class that I wanted to take, and I couldn't find the class that I wanted to take because I just wanted to know more brewing skills, and uh, I decided to create the class that I couldn't find because a lot of the classes that you take are intimidating, and they cost a lot of money, and you got to take a test, and I was like, wait, why can't we just have a fun class? And I, uh, I went and did all those things, and I'm very glad that I took the professional route and I got the Specialty Coffee Association uh, certifications. And so I'm an intermediate brewer, and I learned all this coffee science so that other people could have fun and do the kind of class without having to put all that time and effort and money. And uh, it's for locals, it's for uh, tourists, and it's an hour and a half experience. There's a couple of classes to choose from. I'm going to be developing more, but there's a hands-on brew and taste class. And we use only locally roasted beans. And it's, it's decentralized. I'm you know, not beholden to anybody. And so we go through all the coffee variables. And then I demo brew. And then you come in and you go to your cart. And you pick your bean and then you brew yourself. And then uh, the other choice that we have right now is a blind coffee flight tasting, and that's really fun. You just uh, hone in on your senses, and I, I guide you through using your perception of what, you know, what does this taste like, and we go through uh, a fun worksheet, and you discover more about your personal preferences and your palate, and you get to taste a bunch of cool locally roasted beans. That's great, Tony, and this is our first time meeting each other, but we have a lot in common because I don't know if you recall, but a bunch of years ago I started something called the Asheville Coffee Expo, and that was because there was no coffee festival, and I wanted to go to one, so I started one. So just like you with your workshops, you wanted to attend a workshop like this, so you created a workshop like this, so I really admire that. Um, 
And uh, can you describe what's going on tonight in particular with there's pizza, there's the latte throwdown. Is tonight different and special than a typical workshop? Oh, yeah. Tonight's okay. a, a special night. I wanted to introduce myself to the coffee community. And I thought, why not invite all the baristas, all the coffee shops, all the roasters to a beloved latte art throwdown? Because uh, that's just a party, you know? Like, I'm not trying to sell anything to anybody. I started in December, and I just want them to know who I am. Am, where I am, what I do, how I can help them, and why they might want to uh, send people to me, or, or come learn some gaps in their knowledge and brewing skills, and so I thought, ha- have a latte art throwdown and just make it fun. Yeah, and you've got a nice setup here. It's a beautiful space back here in the Hatch co-working space, and you've got live music playing and uh, projection and nice uh, uh, set up with the espresso machine and such. And who's your espresso sponsor tonight? Our espresso sponsor tonight is Holden from Flower Mouth. He's a brand new roaster and he is absolutely amazing. And uh, he's actually going to be pulling the shots tonight too. And it's, uh, it's sort of a night of all kinds of new people. We have Outsider Brewing, who's new on the scene, craft uh, brewer who makes amazing very magical beers we've got lazy tiger hostel who's new and he's starting out in in july so uh it was kind of like a theme of who's new on the block and matcha nude is also here too and she's new it's it's just a fun let's let's uh showcase some new people around town i really like that so it's all the new kids getting together and showcasing each other and showing off each other that's really great so a sense of camaraderie that's typical of the food and beverage scene here in Asheville is carrying over to your project it sounds like very very clearly Um, and uh, where'd you get the pizza from tonight I'm always curious about food oh we got it from Paisa you know they're comically large I figured it would feed this crowd I didn't know how many people were gonna come but you know let's let's give them some pizza and beer Hell yeah. And uh, one last question. How many people are competing tonight? I notice it's a bracket system. Will the bracket end tonight? Will a winner be picked tonight? A winner will be picked tonight. We're, uh, we, have, we can max out at 20 people. And uh, we've got 10 people so far, and more people are coming in, and they'll just compete against each other. And, and the top prize is a $500 prize. Uh, it's, not, it's actually $100 in cash. Okay. And then they get a free certificate to bring six people to my brew and taste class. Nice. And then a bunch of other really fun uh, prizes in there, Barista Magazine, Dynamite, uh, Roasters, all, all kinds of folks came together to put these prize packages together. That's awesome. So you've got the support of the community for sure. And where should people find you? People should find me on my website at www.coffeecuriousworkshops.com and uh, Instagram and Facebook. And we're also, this you'll like this, uh, we're putting together a WNC Coffee Alliance Facebook community so that everybody can announce their news if uh, somebody says that they got a job or announcing a brand new baby, you know, any of the coffee family community stuff, we're, we're starting that up as well. I love it. I love it. Community building within what could typically be a competitive field 
you showing camaraderie rather than competition has always been the theme here in Asheville, so you're continuing it, and it sounds great. I'm looking forward to seeing what all you do. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to get to meet you finally. Same here, Tony. Nice meeting you. Uh, I'll let you get back to work. It's getting busy. Take care. Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters, and I have another guest with me right now. I have Chef Julie Allen, whom I've known for a few years and really only met in person about a year ago or so. Uh, Really nice person. I love her content online and her participation in our food scene. She's lively and active, and she's been a, a working member of the food scene for about 23 years and I'm real happy to have her here today. Hey, Julie, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Stu? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining me today. I see that your kitty cat has joined us as well. Of course. As soon as you press play, he had to join. This is Zorro. He's a very attractive orange cat. I love me the orange ones. They are the best. Yeah. Well, Julie, I pretty much just wanted to get you on somebody who I know and respect in the food industry who's been at it a long time, to check in with you on the state of affairs in the food industry today and kind of ask you some general questions like, what's it like working in the food industry these days? Well, these days it has started to not be as weird as the immediate post-COVID, but I feel like a lot of the uh, anticipations and expectations haven't really changed. There's always issues with staffing that we've never been in a good place. And I guess that this just is now. Um, Everybody's, I'm not sure if these are the answers that you want. Everybody's talking about paying. Everybody's talking about pay, and that's one of the reasons why I'm really grateful where I am right now. They do take care of their staff very well. And it's been interesting to see the shift over the last um, probably five years of using tips as a way to be able to bring that base pay up for everyone, not just the front of house. And at least that... um, that delineation between the back and front doesn't seem as aggressive as it did when I was in fine dining back in the day. Okay. That's a really important uh, subject that we've talked about on the show. And for the beginning of the show, like 10 years ago when I started recording it, but uh, yeah, that, that animosity between the front and the back. So you're saying in the past five years that that's been, um, that's been softened a little bit. Uh, is that because of open tip sharing? Like the customers? I think know? so. Um, mm-hmm. Customers, customers had to get used to the tip sharing, I guess there was a bit of training the customer. And, um, you know, as you know, I worked for uh, Reza Sedayesh for most of my career and I was fine dining with him. And then when we went and started Bimberry Bond back in twenty. 17 he was doing that with the tips and to my knowledge he was the first person in Asheville to tip share between the front and the back 
Well, Rez is an important figure in our food scene for a lot of reasons. I, I didn't know that he was at the cutting edge of that. And that really has helped, I feel like, to bring the front and the back of the house together sort of emotionally, mm-hmm. um, as well as financially, which, you know, we have a lot of emotions around finance. And so uh, the, it used to be very typical sort of feeling like when it was busy, the front of the house would be psyched and the back of the house would be bummed, you know, because they get paid the same amount. And then the opposite, when it was slow, the front of the house would be bummed and the back of the house would be relaxed, you know. So I'm glad to hear that. Um, well, you work for Bears Barbecue. I'm a fan of the food at Bears. And since you're one of the chefs over there, I'm a fan of your food right now. And I'm glad to hear that Bears uh, helps to take care of that uh, animosity as well. Definitely. Um, so uh, you've been in the food biz for a long time. What what prompted you to get in in the first place? And why do you stay after all these years, even when it got really difficult? Why didn't you bail out during the COVID, the hard times of the COVID years? It might sound silly to say, but I was absolutely born to be in a kitchen. I started cooking with my dad whenever I was a really little girl. And by the time that I was nine or 10, I was making, you know, the Southern grandma pound cakes and I was selling them to our neighbors as just a little kid. My dad was a kind of known businessman in my hometown. So I would go to the places that he did business and they would buy my cakes. And I think it was, um, I think people started buying my cakes for my dad and then they realized, oh, wow, these are really good. And uh, I found out that cooking for a living was a job. I didn't even know it was a job. And that was it. I was sold. I was going to go to culinary school immediately after high school, which I did. And I never looked back, even during the hard times, even when I had to work two and a half full time jobs just to make ends meet. Even when it's awful, I still love it. Hmm. And that's that's definitely a passion. And luckily, it's paid off at this point in my career. That's great. That's all great to hear from beginning to end. I love that story that you just took took to cooking as a child and sort of seemed like you were a little entrepreneur about it, too. Um, and that you've been able to make it a career that even though like like you said it's sometimes it's really hard but even then you still love it and not 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 everyone can say that that they chose a career as a child that they still love to this day so congrats on that sort of life arc that you're having so far julie um thank you yeah i feel i really got lucky oh good i i, I love people who feel lucky because so many people go through life feeling unlucky and just like just complain about everything. And I'm a natural born complainer, so I'm not judging other people. But I love it when people say I feel lucky. I, I do feel lucky myself. Um, so let's, do you have goals? Uh, you're, you're a young person. Uh, you have been at it a long time. I just interviewed a gentleman who's been in the business for 50 years. And uh, he seems to still love it himself. Uh And do you have goals for your future? Do you see ownership in your future of a restaurant? You prefer working for other people and just collecting that paycheck and not collecting the headaches that come with ownership? How do you feel about your future? Um, I, I have never really been sure if I wanted to own a place. I've 
worked at a lot of places that have closed and I know how extreme the risks are on going out of business. And I do believe that since COVID now, those risks are even worse. I don't have any numbers or stats, but it's just what I see, at least in Asheville. Um, And I don't enjoy the paperwork and the technology and all of the computer stuff and the finances. I really just love the food. I'm happiest when I'm in there. If I'm teaching a young person that, you know, getting their career going, I love taking them by the hand, finding the good ones and encouraging them. And I just don't want to be slowed down by payroll, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you know? Um, So I, I really do feel I could honestly see myself retiring from bears. It is, it's a great company with really good people. They've got a lot of money behind them and they seem to be going nowhere, but growing exponentially. And uh, I really love bulk production, um, making unbelievable amounts of barbecue sauce or a dressing or even the baked beans. It's just really satisfying to have, two and a half bus tubs full of beans and you know, they're on the shelf and the shelf is so stocked. I just, I love the food. I, I love it that you just uh, gave some love to tubs of beans. Like that makes me really happy <laughs> that tubs of beans make you happy. Well, that's great. You know, I don't know if I've ever interviewed anybody and I've interviewed a lot of people. I don't know if I've ever interviewed someone who talked about the love of quantities of food like you just did and so you enjoy and at bears you told me you're sort of you're the commissary manager for the north carolina shops um and that would include asheville tryon and what's the third one it's on sweeten creek at the brewery also asheville yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah so you're cooking all the food at the cox ave location to supply those places is that correct Correct. So that's a lot of food. You must be so satisfied with your life right now, making tubs of beans, large trays of pulled chicken and stuff. It's uh, it's really funny. Whenever I left Saturday uh, at the end of my shift, there were five five gallon buckets of coleslaw all rolled up, you know, just rode up like a whole bunch of little friends. And I'm like, bye, guys. That's great. That's great. T- tubs of beans, buckets of coleslaw. You're in your happy place at the, at Bears right now. And that makes me happy to hear because I do love the food at Bears. And I do like to hear when people enjoy working at the restaurants that I enjoy eating at. Um, Julie, so that that's great. So your goals, I love it. Not everybody wants ownership. It's a lot of headaches. And so I love that your goal is to just live a comfortable life doing what you're doing, uh, continue to grow within that company if you can or wherever you're at. Like those are admirable goals in my book. So do, do you have any advice for someone who's maybe entering the food business right now? As I've noticed a lot of teenagers even getting into the food business, mostly in the front of the house. Uh, but sometimes people start in the front, transition to the back. Do you, do you have Would you like to impart anything you learned along the way that you think might make their transition easier? I really think that the this fresh group of kids, the 18, 19, 20 year olds, we've got a bunch of them in bears right now. And I am really pleasantly surprised. You know, I've I've had kids coming through the kitchen over the years and this batch is actually giving me a lot of hope. 
Um, they've got a passion behind them that I feel like the last few, you know, decades, I guess, of even when I was a kid starting, there didn't seem to be a lot of passion. There seems to be a movement away from all of the um, all of the drug and alcohol abuse that was so prevalent uh, for so long, people seem to be shifting away from that. The kids are doing a better job um, being clean and being responsible. And I see some of these kids that they're doing better with their lives than their parents did at that time. Um, I never had any kids of my own, but I'm old enough to be uh, the parent of some of these really young ones. And that's why I love taking them under my wing if they're good and um, seeing, you know, that sparkle in their eyes whenever I show them some new trick or like a different way to cut something that makes their lives easier. So I, I've got a lot of optimism about this next crop coming up of kids. There seems to be the passion coming back. And I think that people are getting back into doing what makes them happy more than a lot of choosing a job just for they felt like they needed to, you know, it's, it's less embarrassing if you will, to work in a restaurant. Interesting. I love to hear all of that because, Oh my God, the attitude of like the boomers and my generation gen X towards the younger generation can be really disheartening. Sometimes I hear people talk a lot of trash about millennials and such and, my um, nephews are young and in their 20s and they're hard workers, man, and they love their jobs. So I'm really glad to hear you say such positive things about the upcoming generation. Um, do you think it's easier for those um, young folks to get into the food industry? Not easier to break in, but easier to be in the food industry than it might have been 20 years ago um, because the Me Too movement changed a lot of the toxicity in the kitchens pay has gone up, expectations for pay have gone up. Do you think that the younger generation coming in is having a better experience upon entry? Yes, I definitely do. It's, um, I mean, you've still got to work hard and put your head down, but it's not so much breaking into the boys club if you're a girl. Like I was always the only girl for more than half of my career. And I always felt like I had to do extra just to be accepted um, because I was already at a disadvantage uh, in their eyes, you know? So, yeah, I think that a lot of the removal of so much sexism, so much of it being, um, you know, it's, men and nobody gets paid anything and it's terrible <laughs> you right. know i don't know why anyone would choose that really if you sell it that way but like you said the the pay is better everyone's kinder i don't hear the horrible sexual harassment type stuff that i'm used to that you know it was easy for me to let those things bounce off but for a lot of people it's not Right. And that's fine. You know, it shouldn't be. You you shouldn't have to accept that. So I am really grateful to see all of those positive changes. I feel like that's why it's not quite as hard as it has been the last 10 years to find uh, good staff. There's definitely an upswing. That's really good to hear. I, I've been kind of hoping that the changes in the industry, while they've been pretty hard to to navigate for the industry 
I've been hoping that we're going to come out the other side a lot better. And what you've just told me about your current younger staff and confirming some of what I was wondering about getting into the business now, that gives me also a lot of hope for the future. So thanks, Julie. Um, Mm -hmm. And now I I just want to give you, before we say goodbye, I just want to give you a chance to talk about, share some thoughts about, or even vent about eaters, customers, and owners. And you don't have to name names, Julie, but if you want, just give us your thoughts. Like, what would you say to the eaters, the customers, and the owners right now, from your point of view, somebody who loves to work in the food industry? Oh, gosh. Well, I would have different advice for each group. Um, For the eaters and the customers, um, it's always, please bring more kindness. Uh, That little bit of extra kindness that I feel like the customers gave us during COVID is long gone. And um, where I am at Bears, with it being on the South Slope, we have so much tourism. And I had never worked at a restaurant that was that heavily on tourism. It had always been more neighborhood. I saw the same people every day. And of course we have our regulars, but um, you can always pick a tourist out. They are the ones that yell at me for the parking spot I got because they want it. Oh my. (laughs) And I'm not leaving fast enough, you know? So um, I feel like Asheville itself is a kind place, but a lot of the people that come visit us, they are not as nice as they should be. So kindness is advice to the custies. Okay. And how about the owners of this world? The owners, um, I've been really lucky to work for good people. I don't, I can't really say that I've ever worked for anybody bad, but also I was with Reza for forever and the folks at Bayers are great. But um, I don't think that most people can say, you know, the owner is truly a good person. (laughs) There's a lot of, there's a lot of bad owners that are just out there to make a buck. And um, I think it's important to, if you can, if you're not a really tiny place, if you can put your, put your money where your mouth is, but also put your mouth there too. You know, don't just say that you're donating to a cause or whatever, get in there and really do it yourself. Um, Being able to look up to the people that you work for and be like, wow, you really are a good person. I think that with as... Go ahead, Julie. I was just going to say with as many restaurants as there in Asheville, I mean, obviously we have too many, honestly. There is no way that all of those people are doing it for the right reason. There's people out there lying in their pockets. There's people stealing the tip shares. I hear about it. I read about it from other folks. Um, There's lawsuits out there in town from uh, owners doing really sketchy things with the tips. And with as many restaurants as there are, there's no reason for folks to stick around and work for you once word gets out like that. Because they are good owners out there. Go be with them. Exactly. I mean, uh, maybe you would agree with this uh, to boil it down. Owners, be be more like Reza. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, Reza's a good guy. He's done a lot for this town. Um, he's paid attention to, to eaters' needs. And it sounds like he's also paid attention to his um, workers' needs. And uh, as far as I know, Reza doesn't currently own any restaurants in Asheville. But he definitely no. is a role model of ownership in the restaurant world. Absolutely. When I was learning, I, 
I guess, how to start being in charge. Um, I would have to go against my the response that I would really want to give, you know, I'm like, okay, I can't do that. And I would ask myself, what would residue? Uh, <laughs> because with, you know, one of the original Asheville chefs, amazing businessman, he has left his mark. And I am really, really grateful that I was able to grow up under him. And I, my career would not have been where it is if he hadn't done all the things and shown me for, the 15 years or however long it was working for him. Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear you talk about Reza that way, a person I certainly respect a lot in our food scene. And, and Julie, respect to you, uh, at it for 23 years now, make, making great food currently, make, having made great food in the past, and doing it all in an industry that's not always easy. Uh, uh, mad, mad props to you, Julie, and thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everybody. It's me, Stu Helm, the Food Fan, back here at Food Fan Headquarters. And I have another guest on with me to talk about the issue of sobriety within the food and beverage industry. And my guest is Hans, and I mostly know Hans online. In fact, we were just remarking that this Zoom meeting is the first time we're seeing each other, quote unquote, in person. And Hans is a 50-year veteran of the food and beverage industry, and he has been sober for seven and a half years. And Hans, thank you for joining me, man. I really appreciate you. How are you today? I'm doing well, and thanks for uh, asking me to. Sure thing, man. Yeah. And you're sitting in a beautiful setting. You're out there in Black Mountain, ain't you? I am, absolutely. Yeah, a beautiful day here in Western North Carolina. Yep, it is. And Hans, we, we talked a little bit before I hit the record button, so I kind of want to jump right into it. You're a, a proponent and an attendee of Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, the live meetings, um, and you were telling me that it it saved your life and you had tried just about everything else. Do you mind walking us through a little bit of your history and how you got to AA eventually? Sure. Um, in, so I went to my first treatment in 1988 and outside of Washington, D.C., at the behest of a new girlfriend who convinced my parents that I should be a, should go treatment. And uh, so I reluctantly did. I mean, I did it for them. Um, did a 28-day. It was at a hospital. It was a lockdown. There was a lot of uh, mentally ill people in, you know, straight jackets and that nine yards. So I immediately knew I was not one of them, which... It's kind of my whole thing for the next 20 something years. It was, I was not one of these people. And, you know, that was, that was kind of where I operated. So, but they encouraged me to go to AA. Um, a little quick, funny story. I went to my first AA meeting in Bethesda, Maryland at a little club, the Delray Club, which I think is still there. Uh, at the end of the meeting, I sat there, had no clue what was going on. I thought there was a, Actually, I saw the one day at a time stickers and I thought it was a bunch of Buddhists, which I was all about. I was like, <laughs> yes, Buddhists are here. <laughs> but anyway, I uh, at the end of the meeting, 
there's all these people going up with pieces of paper to get signed. And I asked the person next to me, I said, what's, what are they getting signed? I said, I don't have anything to get signed. He said, well, that's people that got a, a thing from court saying they had to be here. And I said, you don't have one. You don't have to be here. So I thought, well, terrific. I'm good. <laughs> so anyway, I spent the next uh, 28 years in and out of different treatment modalities, in and out of detoxes, uh, in and out of relationships, um, trying to figure out how to drink and avoid the consequences. And I was determined that I could do that. And I was going to let everybody else know how to do it because I'm such an altruistic person. <laughs> so there you get the ego, you know, which is the whole basis of my uh, alcoholism is my ego and my arrogance. Even huh. though it really show outwardly, inwardly, I was different. Interesting that that I that's part of your these AA guys and I've I've been real open with the world that I'm I've never gone to a meeting I haven't done the twelve steps I just put it down and that worked for me twelve years without alcohol um, but I I absolutely a hundred percent respect you AA guys uh, my dad my uncle my grandfather were all saved by AA so um, I uh, I love it that you. You said something so AA where you you blamed your arrogance on your alcoholism, and that uh, AA always encourages people to look inward, man, and and try to figure out what's inside that's causing these external problems. Um, was that part of what made AA work for you? You said that you were attracted to what you thought was Buddhism, which also causes you to look inside. So, did you see some similarities there, or? Well, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that. I actually, during my period of trying to figure out, you know, and I kept going back into AA because they kept suggesting it. And I kept thinking that, that you know, I only needed to do a couple of the steps, the ones that I wanted to do. The others, you know, I, I was, I don't need to do that. It was, a, you know, it was a buffet line. You just pick whatever step you want to do and and go through. You know, one of the interesting things about that I discovered um in relation to the food and beverage industry is that all the years that I was in it, I assumed that everybody in the restaurant business drank like I did. And it wasn't until good Lord, 35 years later that I realized that no, not everybody drank in the restaurant business drank like I do that I was drinking every night with different people. It oh. wasn't the same people, but I think that's a huge, uh, uh, misnomer about the food and beverage industry that not everybody drinks and just tears it up however you know i started in business in the 70s and it was pretty wide open mm -hmm. and that's some of one of the things that attracted me to it so you know it was it took a lot of uh unraveling the whole all right you know i'm in the food and beverage industry you know i'm supposed to be doing this kind of thing you know without how do I not stick out like a sore thumb and come to find out that nobody ever asked me if I'm sober, nobody in the business now, nobody asked me if I'm drinking that, you know, it's, it's not a thing. It was all in my head. Mm, that's interesting. I do find that there is an assumption in the food and beverage industry that we all, we're all going to drink and we're all going to drink together and we're going to party after work. We're going to, uh, show up to work hungover and just deal with it, you know. Um, yeah, we're gonna make it. We're gonna make it work. I mean, we're gonna troop through it. I mean, I didn't miss work because I was hungover ever. And I mean, no, you show up. 
but but I showed up and I suited up and got through it and then you know said okay I'm not going to do that again and right after work there you go <laughs> yeah hitting it again and so to to sort of break those assumptions uh is to be public about the fact that we that some of us don't drink you know and and making it like kind of not such a big deal that we don't drink but we're still in the food and beverage world um so this is a question based on the fact that you go to aa now when my dad started aa in the 70s he impressed upon me i was a little boy he impressed upon me the the meaning of the second a in aa he he was a minister he didn't want the parishioners to find out that he had a drinking problem and so for most of my childhood it was a big secret that he was in aa now obviously hans you're not keeping it a secret here you are on my podcast how do you feel about anonymity versus being public about it and of course it's a personal choice so i'm asking you on a personal level how you feel about that well you know the first time as i referenced earlier when i went to my first aa meeting well i was carrying an AA flag and telling everybody I was going to AA and blah, blah, blah. I didn't really get that whole concept. Um, the, at this time, you know, I respect other people's anonymity in the program. Friends of mine, I'm not going to tell you who I know that, that doesn't drink. Nope. My own anonymity is for me to, you know, reveal if I want to. And I, I don't really do it often. As far as, you know, I don't go around and tell people, but if some somebody's struggling and they kind of come to me and I have had that happen where I work, we had a lot of guys from uh, treatment centers working there who know I was in recovery. And, uh, you know, they were more than welcome to come up to me because I would let them know, hey, if you need something, let me, you know, but I don't go around tooting my horn about it. And I'm certainly going to say, hey, you know, Stu doesn't go to AA, but he's sober that's not my place to say either you know that's that's for you right so you know that's the way i treat it um i respect the anonymity i i think it's a remarkable you know and this is after having been actually active in the program for seven and a half years now and getting a sponsor realizing the actual genius of this whole program and that's a word that i used to absolutely abhor was the word program i'm like i am not in a program but it's 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 you know it works it works it's it, formulaic it's been working for 100 years now and but at the same time it's formulaic but it's also very vague you know everybody has their own path um, everybody does it differently um one of the best things i ever heard is if you go to a meeting you don't like it, go to a different meeting, <laughs> you know, because it's like neighborhoods. It's like, you know, they're all, all have their own personality. Right. Right. So um, before I let you go, Hans, sure. how would you advise people in Asheville to hook up with AA? Um, at one point I was interested in joining an AA meeting and actually had a hard time sort of locating one. And I'm not sure what was going on that I couldn't find one. It was probably my fault. But how would you go about finding an AA meeting to attend here in Asheville? AAAsheville.org. Oh, wow. Or District 70. Either one of those. If you search those, you'll come up with a link and it okay. will have 
all the meetings listed. And, you know, I, one thing I want to emphasize to people is that the only requirement for attendance at a meeting is the desire to stop drinking. So you don't have to commit to anything. You aren't, it's not a cult because I am, I believe in a higher power, but I am deeply non-religious. Um, you know, it's, it's so it's, but it is, you know, all you have to do is if you want to stop drinking, you have desire to, or think you do, then check it out. Yeah. You know, um, there are, but they list all the meetings all over town, all over the area, actually. And uh -huh. there's, there's meetings every night. There's multiple meetings. Um, I just went to an AA picnic this weekend in West Asheville, and it was hugely attended. That's great. You know, it's. It, as I say, you know, I, I'm not one of the, I was a skeptic for so many years just because I'm sort of a skeptic anyway. Uh -huh. <laughs> but uh, it's what's worked for me. And That's I've seen fantastic. It, I've seen it work for, you know, a lot of other people. Me too. Right in my own family, in and amongst my friends, uh, colleagues such as yourself. Right. Um, it works again and again and again for people. So, yeah, if if people are prone towards attending meetings and they want to follow a tried and true method, I definitely recommend AA. And thank you, Hans, for making it so easy for us to find it. AAAsheville.org. That's so easy. There, there is another organization called Friends of Ben, which is actually a restaurant-based recovery. And it's not AA, but that is another option. As I say, there's lots of paths to recovery. I think they, I don't know that there's a chapter in Asheville at this moment. They were trying to get one started. I know in Charleston, there are a couple. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually a little bit involved with trying to get Ben's friends sort right. of more kickstarted here in Asheville. So thanks right. for bringing it up. And sure. yeah, it's for people because one of the meth, one of the tried and true methods of dealing with alcohol is to get away from it, to get it out of your life, out of your sight. But if you're going to stay in the food and beverage industry, that's really hard to, you, unless you're going to work in a non-alcohol environment, you're going to be around it. And so Ben's Friends is a way for people to deal with that specific sure. challenge. And, you know, the one thing I would like to say that anybody in F&B industry that, that feels like they're alone in wanting to not drink, believe me, you're not. You really aren't. So, yeah. yeah. No, Just there's tons of us. Poke, poke around. <laughs> uh, poke around. You'll find us. All right, Hans. Well, thanks again for joining us. And I know that right now you're working at uh, Meals on Wheels. So I'll, I'll, I'll want to have you back on to talk about that if you're open to it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All, All right, right. Cool, brother. Well, have a great day. Enjoy that weather out there in Black Mountain and enjoy that wonderful food out there in Black Mountain. I will. Thanks so much, Stu. All right, man. Bye-bye. Good. So first off, I'd like to say thank you for everybody taking time out of their Saturday to come down here to the Restoration Hotel. Um, the property just opened about eight weeks ago, I guess it's been. And as you can see, it's absolutely amazing, especially if you've not been here before. So today what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to get into their new brunch. And so I thought let's bring some folks together, try out some of the food, try out some of the drink. We will have some cocktails available if you want some, and they also have some mocktails as well. So I know Stu likes a good mocktail. So we'll make that happen. Um, again, what I've done is
you know what? Stu does enjoy a good mocktail. And I hope that you've been enjoying these interviews with people such as Hans who are in the food industry and <clears throat> practicing sobriety. And if not, you can go ahead and skip forward. I won't know. And so I, my feelings won't be hurt. So go ahead and do that if, if you don't like those sobriety interviews. I'm going to keep doing them. I'm going to continue with this series. Uh, and that little clip I played was my friend Jeremy Hood, a.k.a. the Urban Gastronome. And he had set up a brunch tasting for me and some other food writers and bloggers at the Restoration Asheville Hotel, which is located right downtown and is a very luxurious, brand new hotel with a lot going on inside. There's a nightclub with a bowling alley and ski ball and a stage down in the basement. And there's a huge restaurant on the first floor that has an enormous open kitchen that you can see into. That's the definition of open kitchens, Stu. Uh, and they rolled out, oh, and patio seating and just tons of seating. And there's a little cafe you can grab some pretty great coffee, I have to say, and some baked goods and just eat them on the patio if you want to. And so Jeremy set up this brunch and I enjoyed the uh some of the dishes that were rolled out i'll cut to the chase there was a lentil dish that i could have lived without that's just me i don't like lentils and there was an oatmeal dish that while it was itself very very interesting and i recommend it highly like actually recommend it very highly for those of you who enjoy oatmeal I'm not going to crush a whole bowl of oatmeal. So while I enjoyed the tasting of it, I don't think I would order that again. But let me just back up and say for both of those dishes, there was another person there who enjoyed them both very much. The ones that I enjoyed the most were the pancakes, the French toast, the biscuit, the uh, the oh the avocado toast, which was great. I love that dish, and this was great. It was like all smashed avocados with mixed greens on top and poached eggs on a nice thick piece of white bread toast, and I loved it. It was great. I would get that again, again, and again. Sometimes I just want to eat a light brunch, and then uh, there was bacon and eggs bacon or eggs and hash brown and sausage. And I love all of that stuff. So yes to that. And there were pancakes with mas maple mascarpone cheese, which gosh, I love maple and I really love mascarpone cheese. I think that it's one of the most versatile ingredients and I would like to see it show up in as many places as possible. Just put it on everything, please. And uh, so there were a couple of other dishes that I might be forgetting. Well, let me look at my phone. It's right in my hands. Um, I am not forgetting any other dishes. Uh, oh, and the, I know what I was missing. There was a a duck, like a duck confit dish that, um, again, was not my favorite. This one I did like, but it was not my favorite. But it was somebody else's favorite at the table. And that is one of the beautiful parts of having a uh, tasting with numerous people at it is that if there's one writer who's not impressed with something, another blogger will be impressed with it. And where there's somebody like me who doesn't drink, there's somebody else there who does drink. And the cocktails, I have to say, were crazy. And they were, by all accounts, very delicious. One of them came with like some fruity pebbles 
made into a little sort of rice crispy treat that came on a toothpick on the side. So I don't, that was insane. One came with a piece of a waffle on a toothpick. So very brunchy, very fun. And I recommend the things that I recommended, which were the French toast, the pancakes, the baked goods, the coffee, which was excellent, and the basic bacon, eggs, sausage uh, type deal, and the avocado toast, which was excellent. So check that out, everybody. I hope that you will do that and that you will enjoy it as much as I did. Oh, the pizza guy is here. Hey, Drew, how's it going? Hey, Stu, how you doing, man? Got your pizza here. What do we got today, Drew? Oh, man, it's a banh mi pizza. It's basically inspired by a banh mi sandwich. It's got a, it's got pork belly on it. It's Dang. got a pickled onions and pickled carrots, uh, some cilantro and celery, uh, and some fresh uh, fresh jalapenos. Um they, uh, yeah, it's really good. It's not too spicy though. Um, so I see some sh- sriracha sauce. Oh, so, yeah, there. some uh, sriracha mayo. Uh, it's really good. And the base is a hoisin sauce. Oh, man. It yes. smells and yeah. looks terrific, <laughs> Drew. And of course, Drew is from Asheville Pizza South yes, sir. and does a specialty pizza every month. And yeah. this is the pizza of the month pizza for the June. Month. All of June. We'll have it all of June. And then we run out of everything, but we've been selling a ton of them. So. People really look forward to your yes. specialty pies yeah. now, I bet. Like, they really follow oh, it's you. on the first, man. Uh, we have a bunch of people calling on the first. Uh, we didn't have it ready on the first this yeah. week. So. <laughs> and people can follow you on Instagram, the best way to follow yeah. to Ashville see what the pizza South. of the month is. Yeah, fa- Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. Cool, cool. And uh, I was gonna ask, oh, it can also come with tofu, correct? Yes, actually, absolutely. Uh, tofu, the the pork and the tofu are both seasoned the same, so it's like try to keep it kind of similar. Um, okay. It's like a Chinese five spice and some other stuff on it. It's, it's good. Cool, cool. And is, a, is the tofu one essentially vegetarian in that case? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. All right, Drew, well, it smells great. I can't wait to tuck into yeah, it, man. Yeah, Thanks for everything. Yeah. yeah, have a great day. Yeah. All right, everybody, that's the end of the show. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Drew Peterson from Asheville Pizza South for bringing me that awesome, awesome banh mi pizza. He said it was his favorite specialty pie he's ever made. It might be my favorite specialty pie he's ever made, too. Very savory with sweet elements. The crust, He does the best job with the crust. Uh, it's very crispy, uh, just a flavor bomb. And all all of his specialty pies are really over the top. This one was particularly delicious. So get that during the month of June, if you can. I want to correct a couple of things I said during the show. I said both of my nephews love their jobs. Really, only one of them loves his job. The other one is currently in school, so he can hopefully love his next job. Uh, He's working in the food industry in Portland, Oregon, and he doesn't love it very much. The restaurant he works at doesn't sound that great. I also forgot to mention my partner, Angie, from the Coffee Expo. Uh, Sorry, Angie, and uh, thank you. I could not have done the Coffee Expo without you. You were at least 60% of the partnership in terms of the work. Thank you so much. And um, also, I just want to apologize for the technical problems I had during the interview with Chef Julie Allen. I uh, tried to fix them in post a little bit, but... Still, parts of the interview were a little choppy. Sorry about that. 
But uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoyed all the interviews and everything. And please follow me on social media. I'm Stu Helm Food Fan on Facebook, Instagram, and Substack. Please subscribe to my newsletter. If you want to support me, you can pay for a subscription to my newsletter. That helps me to stay editorially free and or advertisement free and editorially independent. Um, and uh, or, or you can just sign up for a free newsletter. There is no difference between the free newsletter and the paid newsletter, except for the good feeling you get when you pay for it. All right, folks, that's it for this week. If you eat something good, let me know about it. Bye. This episode of the Food Fans Radio Show was underwritten in part by Asheville Food Tours. Did you know that there are over 200 places to eat and drink in downtown Asheville alone? It can be overwhelming. Whether you're a visitor or a local, there's no better way to experience downtown Asheville than taking a food tour with Asheville Food Tours. Details, pricing, and an easy-to-use calendar can be found at AshevilleFoodTours.com. That's AshevilleFoodTours.com.